This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Hello and welcome to the Passive Real Estate Podcast. I'm Matt Jones and today I welcome Marcus Long. Marcus is a husband, father, and founder of A Long Legacy Capital, a real estate investing firm dedicated to pro providing the resources and real estate investment opportunities for investors to achieve financial freedom, make an impact, and leave a legacy. He's experienced in private lending and owner of a 36-acre cattle farm, 14 single-family and small commercial units in Missouri, a limited partner on 290 multifamily units, and a general partner on 404 multifamily units in Tulsa, Nashville, and throughout Texas. He's a founding member of the War Room, a storehouse, and seven-figure multifamily masterminds, and is currently serving as a coach for seven-figure multifamily, and has previously spoken at events such as Multifamily Live. In 2012, Marcus transitioned out of the military after 21 years as a naval officer and enjoys continuing to serve others through multifamily real estate, being active in his local community, and supporting nonprofits important to his family. Well, welcome, Marcus. Thank you for your service. And is there anything else you would like the audience to know about yourself? I don't think so. I think you got it covered there, Matt. I appreciate you having me and sharing your uh, space today. Fantastic. So how did you get started with real estate investing? Yeah, so the uh, quick part of that is going back about uh, probably 18, 19 years ago now. I, was, uh, I had enlisted in the Navy uh, right out of high school. I'd got selected for a commissioning program. I went back to the University of Missouri and I bought my first three bed, two bath condo and uh, kind of house hacked it before I knew what house hacking was, you know, or uh, it being a thing. And when I left, I graduated college, got commissioned, I left, I kept that as a rental. And, you know, that's when the wheels kind of started turning. It was a little bit uh, unintentional, you know, but that's when it kind of started turning and understanding, you know, the power of, uh, of investing in real estate. And that kind of led to uh, a number of other single family acquisitions and things over a number of years before transitioning into multifamily. Okay. And when you went into multifamily, did you start as an LP or a GP or, or kind of both? Yeah, I started as, a, as an LP. And so it was, that was, you know, about three years ago, three or four years ago now. Um, and for a number of years, I was mostly familiar with single family, uh, long-term rentals and things like that. Right. And as I joined one of my uh, original masterminds you know, for active duty and veterans, that's when I started getting exposed to a number of different strategies. And really the first time I, I became aware of like multifamily syndications, and so I invested uh, with a few different um, operators as an LP, uh, first uh, other operators in that mastermind and kind of learned there before moving over as a GP. Yep. A lot of people do that, I think, uh, myself included. Uh, so why did you make the switch to multifamily? So I think that, you know, as I got kind of exposed to multifamily and, and learned kind of the power of it, it, there were a lot of things that kind of spoke to me. It was kind of towards the uh, the end of my career, naval career, and uh, one thing actually, as I had just moved to England also when I did. And so that was part of the reason also for investing passively is because uh, this was pre-COVID. I thought I was going to be doing a lot of traveling. And so I thought, hey, I have some capital. It'd be nice to uh, be on the passive side of this while I travel and I have to worry about it. Of course, COVID came along and uh, that's kind of when I started making the, the transition but uh, into to the GP side. Uh, but really, it just, uh, for a number of reasons, I've always been big on uh, impact and I think both and giving back and stuff. And I think both from the ability to impact more residents in a, a multifamily situation versus a single family, as well as in single family, I'd always done like uh, most using my own capital and things. And this gave me an opportunity to, to share the power of real estate with a lot of my friends, family, colleagues, 
and the opportunity to give them the ability to passively invest uh, as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And then um, when you were starting out as an LP and you were finding these different sponsors, like how could you tell whether one sponsor was good versus not? Yeah, so I originally started my first three that I did passively were all other members in the, this mastermind that I was in, right? And uh, admittedly, like I probably invested a quicker with them than I would have, you know, if I wasn't in that space with them. And part of that was because, you know, we were all military we spoke kind of a common language. Uh, I kind of had access to them, uh, like weekly accountability groups. And so I saw them on kind of a regular basis, right? And so, you know, now that we're a couple of years into, you know, into some of those investments, it turned out differently. You know, some of them have, uh, investments have been better than others. I've learned a lot about different communication styles and things, but I probably jumped in quicker than I would recommend, you know, for others to do so. But I think it was helpful that we were in, in a kind of a small group and I did have access to them on a regular basis. Uh, to kind of keep updated and, and talk through things and learn. What are the lessons you learned as an LP that you were able to carry forward into, you know, being a GP? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's probably a lot of them, but I think one of the biggest things that I learned like pretty early was, was those different communication styles and the frequency. You know, I noticed real quick when I got into a few uh, deals as an LP first that, you know, some were doing monthly updates, some were doing quarterly, some sent an email, some had a YouTube video, and there was just a lot of different like fidelity of information. And um, I think I learned kind of like what I liked and appreciated uh, for that and uh, and kind of turned that into to the GP. For me personally, like I always like to do monthly uh, updates, right? Just to, particularly if you're in like a rehab period or there's a lot of things changing, if it's more stabilized and there's not as much going on, then potentially quarterly is appropriate. But I think I, uh, the communication is just really important uh, regardless of if things are going going good or not going well. And so that's one thing I really learned. Awesome. And then as we're getting into, you know, farther into 2023, are you still looking at multifamily or are you considering, you know, switching asset classes? Uh, for the time being, I'm sticking with uh, with multifamily. Uh, you know, I think that there's, uh, there's some good opportunities in other asset classes uh, as well. But, you know, I think that over the past year, it's kind of the transactions have slowed down a little bit with the economy changing and things. But I think that there, uh, you know, as we get into the, the next few months and stuff, I think there's going to be some some good opportunities. And, you know, we might have to, the deals might look a little bit different, whether we are, you know, assuming loans with, with good terms or uh, it might be opportunities for seller financing. And so I think there's going to be a lot of good opportunities. We just have to be uh, patient and smart and wait for those um, to come along. I agree. Patience is a, a good approach right now. Right. So how are you finding your multifamily deals? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I partner with some people that are focusing in Tulsa, as well as some in Texas. And I think uh, many of them have come with relationships through brokers. And, you know, some of them, as we get more uh, in depth, like say in Tulsa, for example, and my partner spend a lot of time there and get to know some of the other syndicators and owners uh, in the community, you know, some of those can also be uh, done off market when you know those sellers are getting ready to, um, to to sell and stuff as well, just through relationships. So I've built up uh, partnerships, and um, some of my deal flow comes through you know my partners' relationships with brokers or other sellers in the, in those markets. Real estate is all about adding value to other people. An easy way to do that is to share this podcast with someone you know who wants to do more passive real estate investing. Also, subscribe and leave a review. Now, let's get back to the episode.
like when you became a GP and uh, you know you learned some of those lessons, such as communication. I guess what are the things that uh, uh, LP can really expect from a GP, and if they don't, if they're not getting that level of support, that you know that's a red flag. Yeah, so I mean, I think those are all, those are kind of always good questions to kind of ask, you know, ahead of time. Like when you're, you know, when you're on the list, if you're going to the webinar where you're having conversations uh, about it, to kind of ask those questions up front because different operators do have different ways of, you know, communicating, and that's okay. Uh, different operators do have different ways of like structuring a deal. You know, whether it's you know they're doing return on capital, return of capital, or there's, you know, there's different ways to do it. They're not necessarily all right or wrong, but I think, you know, being able to, as a passive investor, you don't have to be the expert, but knowing enough about some of these things to ask those questions up front. And then if that's not how it's being played out, you know, kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, asking the question to the GP, like, Hey, you said you were going to do monthly updates. We're not receiving that communication. Or you said you were going to include X. We're not receiving that information. So asking that stuff up front just to kind of to know what to expect by getting into the deal and being like, well, my last deal did this and you're not doing that because it is okay to operate uh, differently, but for them to be transparent um, about how they intend to do it and then execute on that. So what kind of questions should an LP be asking a GP when considering whether or not to invest with a GP? Yeah, so I mean, I think that, you know, whenever I look at the... Um, you know, the deal that's being presented, those are the the types of questions, even, you know, asking about um, if I'm looking at the deal, like the the financing on it, you know, does the the financing that they have, the terms of it match kind of the business plan that, that they lay, laid out, you know, do they, if there's a refinance or something in the uh, assumptions, like does the deal work without the refinance? You know, if the market conditions don't support uh, having that in there, or have they relied on the refinance to kind of juice the returns that they're presenting um, to, to the investors? So there's, I mean, a laundry list of, of other questions, but I think it's important to kind of, as an LP, to know some of the assumptions that GPs are making when they you know, uh, analyze a property. Because uh, as you know, whether if it's a value add, for example, like how long those units are down for when they're being rehabbed or um, how many are you intending to rehab at the same time? There's just so many different variables that kind of come into this. And that, you know, the lending, like I said, there's a lot more to it than just a good interest rate. You know, as there's, uh, how long is it interest only? How long is the term, um, the prepayment penalty, how much flexibility have they given themselves on that, um, you know, particular property when to exit it, or you kind of like locked into needing to exit a certain period of time. And so I think understanding like some of those assumptions and stuff, what the, GPs have made um, is is useful to be able to ask them those questions. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, as you're putting these together or these deals together as a, a general partner, you know, what sets you apart from other syndication sponsors? Like why would an LP invest with you versus someone else? Yeah, I think, you know, myself and my partners, um, number one, we try to be extremely transparent. Like I said, uh, monthly communication and let them know what's going on with the property. But I think like one thing that, that we do differently that I haven't seen in all of these sponsors or operators, even that I've invested with is how much we like care about the actual residents, right? Even when we're laying out the business plan and, you know, in, in the beginning, and we are looking at like CapEx projects and stuff, 
we often are taking into consideration, you know, we obviously do that to, to make a return for our investors and stuff as well. But we're looking at like, what makes this a better home, a better place to live for the residents that are, that are there, right? Like there might be a laundry facility, but can we put like laundry washer and dryers in units because more so than just the revenue increase, but me personally, like I would rather spend my Saturday afternoon, you know, throw my laundry in, spend it with my family or go somewhere versus spending it in the laundry facility. Right. Uh, we often, when we take over a property, you know, we do a survey and, you know, we might have a few ideas like, you know, a dog park or a playground or whatever it might be to do with some of those CapEx dollars. But we always ask the residents, like, what would you like to see uh, on the property? Right. So, we might give them three or four different options and then ask for some write-ins and it gives them kind of a feeling of that they have provide feedback and input into the place that they live. And we do, uh, we try to do a lot of like resident events, you know, back to school nights. If there's like a, a lot of families there or, you know, a fall festival, um, you know, a porch decorating contest or things like that. And so I think we really prioritize the, the residents that live there and the impact that we have for them. That's awesome. I mean, the residents are your customers after all. 100%. So as well as our investors. Oh, yep, for sure. And uh, what's the problem that you've encountered with a, an investment and how is it handled? Uh, as far as like as a passive investor or? Uh, either way, you know, whatever comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is it goes back to the communication, right? As a, a passive investor, you know, we did have some investments where, you know, said, oh, we do quarterly uh, community just our quarterly communication and the first quarter came and went and the communication didn't happen and you know there was kind of an expectation of uh, distribution uh, at a certain point in time and that time came and went and it wasn't really communicated that hey we're delayed on distributions right and so a few of the passive investors we kind of knew each other and kind of messaged each other just had a conversation and we just re reached out you know to the uh, to the general partners and stuff who we who we knew and stuff as well and I think it was handled it was handled fine afterwards and appropriately. They just started like kind of kicking in gear. Uh, it was just um, a little bit, you know, unfortunate. It just goes back to that. Nothing had been wrong with the property and the operations of it. It just brings into question when the communication doesn't happen or the distribution didn't happen. It makes the passive investors wonder like, hey, what's going on? You know, is something being hidden or things not going the way that they were expected or whatever it might be? And so, and it was going a little bit different than expected, but it turned out like once they started doing distributions, they were great. It just took a lot, a little bit longer to kind of get there. And so I think that's the important of the communication is it's okay if your distribution is going to be delayed a quarter uh, or however long it's going to be, just be transparent and communicate that to the investors. No, I, I agree. I mean, like when you're underwriting, when you're doing your performa, like it, all of that's going to be wrong. Like the, the deal's right. not going to work out exactly like uh, projected because there's always stuff that comes up and whatnot. But the communication is uh, so important to make sure you at least know what the heck's going on along the way. Yeah, they're they're much more likely to be. They might be disappointed, you know, that that a distribution's delayed a quarter or two quarters. But um, I think that that disappointment on that would be a lot uh, more well received than just a lack of communication about it. Yep, for sure. All right, are you ready for a speed round? Let's do it. What is your favorite part about passive real estate investing? So I think that my favorite part is just like exactly it being passive, right? Is the fact that everyone has the opportunity to do it, whether you have a, you know, a super busy W2, um, whether you are retired and just wanting to travel and not, you know, like there's a lot of people like I enjoy doing 
real estate and being active and stuff in it, but it gives people the opportunity to be exposed to it for, and receive the value, whether it's cash flow, the capital appreciation, the tax benefits without having to be the one that's, you know, knee deep into it every day. Great. And uh, what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? I think, I mean, this is a, a little bit of a general uh, answer, but when I invested passively on my first ones, like I didn't know a lot of the questions to ask, right? I invested with people that I kind of had a relationship with um, based on being in a mastermind. Not that those went wrong, but as I did more passive investing and then as a GP myself, I learned a lot of questions that I should have been asking, you know, when that investment summary came out and when I was at a webinar or things like that, that I just didn't know to ask at the time. And there, you know, there's some good resources out there um, as a passive investor to use to understand a little bit more what questions you should be asking the GP before just jumping in. Yep. And what's a book that you can recommend to passive investors? Yeah, I think that one of my biggest recommendations would probably be like the hands-off investor uh, by Brian Burke. And uh, just going back to the previous question, like that's a great resource to uh, for those uh, passive investors to kind of read or listen to to you know, pick up on some things that they can ask a GP when they're considering investing. Excellent. And how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? Yeah, if they want to go to uh, alonglegacy.com, uh, there's a connect page there. You can send me an email, set up a time on my calendar to, to chat, my social media, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's all right there. Great. And I'll include that with the show notes. And is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? I think that's it. I'm just, if I can, uh, if my journey can be valuable to anyone else, uh, both as a passive investor or as an operator, if anyone wants to um, you know, talk to me more about my experiences in depth, I'm happy to, uh, happy to connect with them. All right. Well, thank you, Marcus, and have an, a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks. You as well, Matt. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.